Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. You're watching Kofefi Break, which is a live show we do every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Today's Friday, January 28th. I'm Carter. Carrie's here somewhere. There she is. Hello, Carter. In her hat. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, I'm, I'm kind of have to agree. I didn't realize the awesomeness of the hat until just this moment, but it is a cool hat. Um, we are live streaming on YouTube, Utreon, Odyssey, I think Rumble, possibly Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. We're trying a whole bunch of stuff today, so we'll see if it works. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore unsafe space. You can go to unsafespace.com to support the show and all the shows that we do here. Um, and don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Um, we are in a subscribe war with good old Susan. So make sure she's she's good about sneaking into your bedroom and unsubscribing you at night. It's creepy. So go make sure you're subscribed. Um, what else? Book Club. Book Club is Gary's coming up it. this Sunday. If you would like to join us, we're doing Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. And... This is an excellent read. It took it was slow going getting into it. I haven't read it. This is my old copy from like eighth grade, and I haven't read oh. it so in a very long time. Obviously, um, getting into it at first slow going, but once you get into it, really interesting read. Uh, so I hope you'll join us on Sunday. You can find out more info at the book club page, and also if you would like to follow my new channel, I'm dropping it right now in the YouTube comments. It's where we're going. I'm going to be doing the new deprogrammed episodes. So uh, next week, we're going to be premiering one with Billboard Chris. Um, oh, cool! So that Thursday. premieres next week. Is that is yes. that the first one? Yes, that'll be the first one. Okay, so everyone should check it out. Beverly, if you don't see a link, post the link in chat. I think Carrie's going to post the link, but you should post it as well. Um. All right, there you go. She's got it. Uh, the next book actually was picked. It's the real Anthony Fauci, but you have until March 6th. But if you want to start it, apparently it's very long and dense. Oh, um, I didn't. I'm learning this with the audience. <laughs> That's yeah, interesting. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think what we're going to do, because we want to have a real discussion, I think we're going to not stream it on YouTube. I think we'll stream it everywhere else. We might do a little thing on YouTube that says, hey, there's a discussion over here. Go. Um, but you know, it's gotten to the point where I don't know that we can have a conversation about Anthony Fauci on YouTube without getting canned. So anyway. Would it be possible for me to learn some of these things before we go live next time? Uh, I think it's cool. probably in Discord. Okay. But yeah. Um, what are we doing? Oh, who do we have today? So I'm very excited today. We have Cecil Charles. And Clifton Duncan, who's going to be a little bit late. Hello, Cecil. Hello. How y'all doing? Not bad. How you good. doing? I'm good. I, I really am jealous of Carrie's hat. I, I do have oh, to admit that. So I'm trying to figure, who was the explorer who wore the raccoon hat like that? Oh, oh, you mean like Davy Crockett? Davy Crockett, <laughs> Davy Crockett <laughs> yes. Was he real even? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. According to Jordan Peterson, Maybe. he was more, more real than real. I see. Um, <laughs> He's a that's story. That's a great no. quote. I know. I, you quoted it earlier today, I think. I no, really? I'm, I'm paying attention. Um, yeah, and then I guess Clifton Duncan is coming later. So we'll he'll join when he joins. Um, so Cecil, tell us a dad joke. 
okay. So when people say that, I always have one that I go to that um, is old enough that that it was kind of pre-Twitter um, for me. And uh, okay, so have you heard about the the? Did I tell this last time? I hope I didn't. Did you hear about the river that flooded the Garden of Eden? No. no. Yeah, God damned it. Okay. Nice. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm I was wanting. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Thank a good you. one. Um, all right. So, so, the people, uh, so the people know, because you asked about dad jokes. So the people know, you can follow me at the Cecil Charles. And I have about 406. I, I write them every day because they just come to mind. And I've got over 460 of them, original. And uh, and I'm whittling them down, and I'm going I'm going to make a book. So now that I've said that on unsafe space, it must come true. So that's me putting to. it putting it out there. But I do have them written down, and I'm going through them now. So and it's uh, so you have a YouTube channel and a Twitter. Um, are you promoting I, both of them? You want to tell people both of those names? I, sure, I do. I'm a I'm a full time singer songwriter, and and I dabble in dad jokes and philosophy and politics. And uh, so my my YouTube is Cecil Charles Official. Uh, that's the same as my Instagram. The only thing that's everything's Cecil Charles Official except for my Twitter, which is the Cecil Charles. Um, that was just an oversight on my part initially, and it's worked out okay because all of my music stuff that's out there in the world doesn't necessarily coincide with people needing to hear what I think about politics. So. It's nice to have a little bit of separation between those two, but that's fine. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what's been what's been on your mind? What what's this week? Any stories that have gotten you well, in a tizzy this week? Uh, well, we've got we've got a the picture on the front of the thumbnail for this video is a certain very famous musician. I was hoping Clifton needs to be here for this conversation, but we are going to talk about Neil Young and Spotify, I assume. Yes. Oh, I think we should. Yeah. Yeah, um, he should be here any minute. So I think we can do the background. He doesn't need to hear the background because I'm sure he knows it, right? I would think so. So why, don't, see, so why don't you tell people for the audience what happened this week, and then we can talk about. Uh, well, at some comment. point earlier this week, apparently, um, Neil Young, the famous singer songwriter folk songwriter from the 60s and 70s up until now uh was so upset with joe rogan and everything that was being said on on the joe rogan experience that he told spotify which is the host for joe rogan that um unless spotify gets rid of all of joe rogan's podcasts that neil young would pull all of his music from spotify and uh and apparently Spotify said, okay, thank you very much. See you later, Neil Young. Yep. Yep. It's such a great example of canceling yourself. I he um I've noticed a lot of boomers seem to be thinking that this is like some stupid decision from Spotify. And I just want like for for people who don't know, Joe Rogan's audience is way younger and bigger. So just from a pure financial perspective, it makes no sense for Spotify to cancel Joe Rogan. Plus they paid $300 million for him. So, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't expect Spotify to, to get out of their deal with Rogan, given that that amount, that sum, that upfront sum that they paid to get Rogan exclusively on their platform. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just again, from a purely monetary standpoint, that's, that's going to keep him around for a long time. Um, yeah. but, but you're right. I mean, 
I mean, Rogan's the biggest podcast in the world. I don't think people understand that. I mean, people who are still watching CNN and MSNBC, I don't think they understand how many people pay attention and, and listen and why. I mean, you know, it's yeah. Rogan's not out there like, he's he's not mainstream media, so people aren't tuning into him to catch the news, right? So they're not doing it for that. They're doing it for other reasons, which mainstream media do, don't seem to understand. And They do understand how big he is. They just don't understand why. So like, Trevor Noah just talked about him on his on the Daily Show, and he mentioned he has 11 million people listen to every episode. So I think they're kind of doubled over by the numbers. I think they would probably look at that and think that's crazy because they know how many more people it is than what like the Daily Show gets, for example. Sure. <laughs> um, but they they want to write it off to like, oh, it's because well, why are people listening to that? Because they're dumb and they're anti-science and they're white supremacist. And they're getting, you know, misinformation. It's some, it's, we have to shut this down because otherwise, you know, the dumb people, they don't know it's, it comes from a place of like intellectual superiority. They're sort of like the dumb masses will go to shows like Joe Rogan's unless we cancel them. Right. Well, I mean, the truth is I don't, I mean, I would be very surprised if anybody with a brain in, you know, legacy corporate media don't understand how big of a threat Joe Rogan is, but they play it off as if he's just kind of this secondary person who shouldn't be, you know, looked at, shouldn't be listened to for the reasons that you just stated. But I'm, I'm sure that this kind of comes back to the whole thing. I mean, do they really think that, that we're a bunch of stupid white supremacists or is that just their strategy? I mean, do they, do, do the mainstream media really think that? I don't, I don't know. Does, does the layperson think that? I think there's a much better chance that the layperson thinks that, but the mainstream media, I'm, I'm not. The layperson, I think, does think that. Yeah. And we've so. brought in a layperson. I'm kidding. <laughs> Hello, Clifton Duncan. <laughs> Hello. Well, How are you? Oh, well, you're talking about um, uh, laypersons. I wish I was a laid person. Oh! Ah, you did I that for That's not a dad joke until the teens, at least. <laughs> I was. Is that even a joke? Oh my god! <laughs> Dude, all you got to do is talk into the can to the, the microphone, and people are going to be calling you. That's uh, why I called you the voice on on Twitter because oh you've well, got that sorry. resonant thing going on. Um, well, I got something going on. I, I can barely keep my eyes open. How y'all doing? What's Aww. up, Cecil? Good to see you again. It's good to see you, Clifton. <laughs> doing well man uh can you remind people who you are where they can follow you where they can find you online oh gosh well my name is clifton duncan uh, i used to be uh, an actor up until uh, the world ended uh, i am a mediocre twitter personality who uh, is, <laughs> uh, who also has a youtube channel and um and a podcast called the clifton duncan podcast uh, for some reason um i couldn't think of a better name than my own uh, so that's uh that's what's going on um, I hope that, uh, we, we, where, where are we? I, oh, uh, Carter, how is, uh, how is being a proud papa treating you? Uh, I'm also tired, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's doing well, it's going well. And, uh, you're on Twitter a lot more yeah, than you used I to mean, be now that you're a dad. Yeah. I've like, there's a lot of downtime where I'm like, I'm like holding a baby and I have one hand and I can't do anything else. And so I put Twitter back on my phone and I'm like, eh, I can kind of like, Type with Twitter a little bit, I guess. Um, also, to... I realize I'm supposed to be on Twitter a little bit more, so that's conscious. Are you trying um, to say that you, that you're 
Are you refusing? Are you declining to breastfeed your child, Carter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she does try. She will try and latch on to anything in vicinity, including including any part of me, like my shoulder or whatever, like she'll, she'll go for it. But uh, we're doing the, we're doing the breastfeeding thing. It's important. I think you lose on average one and a half IQ points if you don't breastfeed your child. So, well, the point is that it's 2022 and women are no longer the sole breastfeeders of our, of our, species. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. I could identify as a breastfeeder, <laughs> I guess, and give it a shot. Just let's um, be, let's be progressive folks. That's what, that's all I'm trying to say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I know how that would work in reality, but we could we could try it. So oh, no, we, do we better. Know how it works. Do better. Do better. <laughs> it's just you know what needing babies needing food is just a social construct. So if we just redefine what it means to get food as a baby, I think that would be that'd be great. It'll work out fine. We were talking about Joe Rogan and Neil Young, who I'm sure is your favorite musician. <laughs> Dude, I was like, this is this is the most I've ever heard of Neil Young in my life. Uh, to be to be honest, you know, I, I feel I mean, I feel bad. I feel like it's you know one of those people who, um, because of my kind of weird trajectory in life, uh, people will come to me and be like, "You never heard any uh, Bob Dylan?" And I was like, "You never heard any Tribe Called Quest?" Like, what the you yeah. know? You're just have picking different upbringings, bro. But uh, but what's funny is that uh, Neil Young has uh, made himself relevant by getting himself canceled, and it, it appears Barry Manilow is about to do the same exact thing. It's actually a great strategy. I was thinking about it. I don't know if it was conscious for him or not, but he got his name trending, albeit that it was trending. Who is Neil Young? But that <laughs> at least that at least, at least that was something people were asking, and it was kind of brilliant. And now the left, so his tribe, he basically went out and did what the very definition of a virtue signal, you know, he's got his flag, he's waving it and his tribe that the, the members with the people who, who hoist that flag, they lifted him up and they're all tweeting about him now, what a hero he is. And, you know, do your duty to the tribe and go listen to Neil Young. And uh, I don't know if that was a conscious marketing decision on, on his part or not. Um, but no, you know, it wasn't come on. Yeah. These people don't think that well, far ahead. But you do know that now both Apple and Amazon Music are going to artists who are Neil Young's age and saying, hey, we'll pay you to protest Spotify. Um, are you serious? Why not? I would. Oh, I thought that was like a verified thing that's happening. No, no. I'm saying yeah. like it's got to be happening. Like if – right? Because you – you want people off of Spotify. They're a competitor. Pandora basically sucks. No one listens to it, so they're not doing anything. So you've got your biggest competitors are going to be uh, iTunes Music and um, and Amazon Music. They, they've got to be calling people and be like, it worked for Neil Young. Look, no one knows who you are anymore, Barry Manilow. Your fans are mostly dead. We could get your name trending. All you got to do is you know, stand with Neil. But why, if if you've, I mean, you've pretty much already had your career. I mean, you're, you're Barry, even I know who Barry Manilow is. Why would you need to maintain even more relevance? Why couldn't you just stand on what you've already, already built? Have know. you met celebrities? Here's yeah, what I mean, but like, I don't know, man. Just at, you know at, at a certain age, it's just weird. It is. And Madonna persists. Oh God. Oh, I forgot. That's true. Oh my God. <laughs> so this, it, it brings up an interesting uh, thought 
to me, which is just how much can we separate the art from the artist? And I know I try to, I try to separate the art from the artist and just look at the art by itself because there are people who like, look at Bill Cosby. He did great art. I mean, his, his, he has a legacy of, he changed television and he was hilarious, but, and I, and so I try to look at that by itself, but knowing what I know about him, <laughs> I also have issues with that. And so I, this, the Neil Young thing makes me think of that too, because it's sort of like, I, I like the song Neon Moon. But now that I know a little bit more about him and that he tried to use his name and celebrity status to push censorship, I'm going to have a hard time enjoying that song next time I hear it. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't it's, know if that's actually possible to separate the two. What do you guys think? It's a super interesting question. And I, I remember, this had to have been 10 years ago, the director who did I Heart Huckabees, did you ever see that movie with uh, yes. Naomi Watts and, and um, Jude Law, I think? Anyway, really great movie very kind of like existentialist, very funny, very interesting. Apparently that director was just, is a complete asshole and will like throw things at the actors and scream at them. And he's very well known for being terrible. And, and when I learned this after already having seen I Heart Huckabees and liking the movie, you know, and then I saw some YouTube clip of him screaming, the director screaming at the actors, it, it does give you that pause where you're like, how do I separate these two things? And I, and I, I don't know that there's any great answer for that. Um, but I mean, you mentioned Bill Cosby, obviously there are things that become so egregious where you can't really separate the two, but I think we're living in an age where people think anything is egregious. Everything is egregious. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I very much disagree with what Neil Young did and how he said it. And I, you know, probably, I, I like Neil Young. <laughs> I grew up listening to Neil Young and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young and all of that. Yeah. So this is, this is frustrating for me in that sense. Um, but I mean, the reason that he did it is because he thinks that what Joe Rogan is doing is so egregious. Like the climate that we're in is like, oh my God, somebody has this opinion. Let's like tear the fucking house down because we're in this crazy world where, where people, I mean, are, are spending all of their days looking for a reason to be upset. I mean, the flip side is like all of us heterodox people are looking around at the world going like, this is, there are a lot of good reasons to be very upset right now. But part of the reason to be upset is because we have this whole other group of people that are upset at everything and are tearing everything down because they're so mad. So it's, it's very much chicken and egg, but I think it's a, it's always going to be a tough thing to to somehow separate the views of the personality of the history of an artist from the art that they make. I think that's a, a difficult thing. What do you think? Wait, yeah. well, wait a minute. Um, uh, am I? Am I supposed? Am I, okay. Am I to understand that I'm the only person here who still masturbates to R. Kelly songs? <laughs> <laughs> is it just? Is it just me? I, I have I don't never know if I can name an R. Kelly song, dude. I'm sorry, I'm too old. I don't. I've, I don't even I've know never done that. But if about. I can, if I can leave this podcast early so I can go try that. That's <laughs> I mean, is that is that weird? Am I the only person still doing that? That's all I want to know. That's, I guess so. Yes. Well, I, I don't really do that, guys. I'm just uh, no. <laughs> no, no. It's Michael Jackson. I mean, Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to the separation I stuff. I don't, I don't complete stand still. <laughs> yeah, well, bring up. We went to Bill Cosby, and that wasn't enough. But you, you took it to mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, and yeah. 
some other stuff. Thank you for that. Oh, well, you know, well, that's my time here on the break. You're welcome to that. Demonetized immediately. I have, I think it, I think it just depends at least if I evaluate the, the artists that I like and the ones that I know things about that have made me maybe dislike who they are as a person, it just depends. And I don't really know how I'm figuring out who, who I'm okay with and who I'm not in terms of still appreciating their art. But for example, once I saw what a kook Tom Cruise was way back, I could, I can't really watch him in any movie anymore. I mean, I try, I don't dis actively dislike him or anything. I just sort of Whenever I see him, I see him jumping up and down on the couch and talking about Scientology. And I just sort of, it's hard for me to appreciate the movies he's in now. Um, but then someone like Bill Cosby, even knowing these horrible things, maybe because there were rumors about it for so long I'd already known, I can still watch him do stand-up, like old stand-up specials. And I don't know why I'm able to separate that it for some and not for others. Or like somebody just told me that, that they've met Dolly Parton and she's horrible in person, which... I know that's just one person saying that, but let's say it's true. I don't know. Let's say it's true. I still love her music. I'm still going to listen to her music. I don't know. Well, it sounds like yeah. you're discriminating against Tom Cruise because he's white, obviously. <laughs> yeah. He's a white man. And a man, yeah. You know, but it's funny, though, because, uh, I mean, you know, I remember all that all that nonsense with Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors. Like, I love him. And the, and, and the thing is, maybe it's because, uh, yeah, I love Tom Cruise. And, and I think maybe... I think part of it is because when you see someone like 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 Tom, my friend Tom that I'm I'm referring to, <laughs> yeah. um, when you see someone like that, and this also goes into remember that rant that was released uh, when he was working on I think it was a new Mission Impossible or yes. something. Yes, the COVID people, rant, right? And people were really upset by it. But uh, but the thing is, with with someone like him, part of part of why I love watching him on screen is because he has this this kinetic kind of um, electricity that uh, electricity that's always sort of percolating uh, underneath everything he does is this intensity and i think that that's the energy that that's the same energy that prompts him to jump up on the couch and, and just go with gusto but like i'm so i'm so happy and to and and he takes his job very seriously and says you know guys this we're talking about the future of the industry you know where he just he, he just where he just goes goes and so on one hand it's like, yeah, you know, obviously, uh, I'm not a Scientologist, and that's a that's a, a cult to to rival the the Covidians, and uh, the and you know, no one wants to, uh, you know, and people accused him of being abusive when that rant came out. But for me, it's sort of, I, I don't say it, it helps me enjoy his work. It, it for me, it 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 says, oh, it, for me as as a fellow performer, I say, oh, it makes sense that he is that way in life because that is that that same sort of intensity is present in all of his work on camera. Oh, you can't handle well, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, even uh, even in you that can, scene, yeah. I really handle the truth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even that scene is is fantastic because uh, if, yeah. if you notice in that shot, it starts out as a, as a as more of a a medium shot, and then it it slowly pans in. And it's funny, and th this is how where like the sort of film acting technique and you know versus real life clashes because when 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 it ends up close on his face and he's in close up, he's basically whispering his lines. And you know, in real life, it's like, dude, you're in a courtroom, nobody can hear what the fuck you're saying. But it works like gangbusters on film. But even still, it, but it. But because of that, it, it, it lends that moment a, a, that a quiet intensity, but it also serves, it's a really smart choice because it becomes a counterpoint 
to who else is in that scene? Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. Who's just, you know, balls to the wall. So it's just, you know, so all these kind of artful technical things. I mean, we, we don't have to have to get too much into the weeds on that, but yeah, you know, but you know, but it, I guess the, the broader point is that uh, he's capable of that intensity, but you know, even when he brings it down, it's still there, but he can also kind of mute it when it's, when it's necessary too. So, you know, I, I, I'll defend Tom Cruise until he starts killing people. Then I'll be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the thing with that's and the thing with Tom Cruise. Then. Like that's I, I, like I don't have the problem with it you, that you guys do with Tom Cruise because I don't like so he's a loon, right? It, it, Bill Cosby is different. He's a predator, right? Tom Cruise is a loon. I can forgive loons, right? It's the predators that make it more difficult. Although I will say, someone shared a clip of the Cosby Show the other day. I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't. I I'm. I'm with you in that, like, I'm not sure where the line is, but I think I have a reversed reaction where I'm like, well, I'm more annoyed by Bill Cosby than Tom Cruise. Wait, is it that clip where he's, uh, I'm not going to say it, never mind. <laughs> Who, Bill Cosby? Why? It's too, I can't do it. <laughs> it's about pudding pops? <laughs> no, it was a clip. No, you got yeah, 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 I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally bringing down the stream. <laughs> no, you have to do it now. I think you're. I think Cecil's right. I think you got to say it, man. I was like, yeah. is it that? Is it that famous clip where he's going up to Tempest Bledsoe and saying, "Let me see your pussy." <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember no, that. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that clip. Oh, okay. Was that from the Cosby Show? Yeah. Oh, he was <laughs> I missed that hours. episode. Yeah. yeah. Also, remember, remember Tempest Bledsoe when she had like, and she had a talk show for like two seconds. No. No. Who is she? <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking on who that is. I feel bad. Tempest Bledsoe. She played. Uh, what was the daughter's name? Uh, uh, not, not, uh, not the youngest. Not Keisha Knight Pulliam, the youngest daughter, but the like the middle oh. daughter. Oh, that one. Uh, okay. The one yeah. Everyone forgets. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, she totally remember. had to talk Somebody to her for, for like a hot second. And he said that to her? No, he didn't. I'm making it up. I'm not being serious. I mean, he's oh. joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so this clip. So I don't want to say anything because I was this, like, well, if I had just come out and said it, laugh. it yeah. well, well, it's because, well, because the, it's, it's shocking and, and, and obviously absurd, but we're just going off of him being a predator. Well, like, you oh, know, yeah. also why that's funny is people are combing through old Cosby episodes now and they're doing things like, you know, look at all these breadcrumbs he was leaving where he's telling it and they're, and they're pulling out clips from episodes where he's saying stuff about, you know, it's my secret sauce. That that I that that's why women like me talking about at being at a barbecue. But they basically are saying he was leaving all these breadcrumbs. They're trying to argue that he was leaving all these breadcrumbs that showed that he thought he could, you know, drug and take advantage of women. I don't know if that's true or if that's just writing and they're cherry picking things now. But your joke is hilarious because if that was included, if they were doing all those really subtle things, they're like, and then they included that one. <laughs> and here's what he said. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that joke hmm. was, was funny, but uh, we laughed. Worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, after after I said it was it was a joke, then then it was like aha. But uh, uh, you no, know, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna stop talking for the next ten minutes and let and let you all elevate uh, the the tone of the stream uh, back back to the lofty standards that, that we're that we're used to. 
Clifton, I, ever, I do feel like you're you're getting worried about people not laughing at your jokes and you're talking to somebody who posts dad jokes like every day. And that's it's what happens, man. I, I guess. I, I don't know. I maybe I'm just uh, I'm also I'm also tired. I don't know if you saw me. I, I tweeted today that I, I really picked the wrong week to quit smoking weed. So I'm uh, <laughs> well, Did you quit? well, yeah, you know, because I spent I spent pretty much the majority of my of my 30s uh, as a as a pretty much a pothead. And uh, I figure that uh, at a certain point, it's like, all right, this is uh, and I'll, and also I'm listening to an outcast song and Andre 3000 was talking Which about that. Uh, it was a day in the life of Andre Benjamin. It was like the last song on the Love Below, and um, he's talking about how uh, meeting some some girl from his past and how he uh, how he hadn't uh, smoked or took a shot of drink. And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting that you have this, um, you know, who's considered one of the great rappers that we have, and certainly like Outkast and that whole sort of um, <clears throat> um, collective." from Atlanta. I mean, I think they're geniuses. Mm -hmm. But to see someone like that um, who made the conscious decision to like cleanse his body of any kind of altered substances, I thought that was really um, powerful. And you know, I've been thinking about doing it for a while anyway. So, but the point is that uh, I'm, I'm I'm not really sleeping that much because the insomnia <laughs> as a result oh, of the yeah. withdrawal is pretty intense. Oh, right? you know what you should try if you haven't already is have you ever tried melatonin? Yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really it doesn't work, work. For me. but uh, you know, it'll, it'll regulate itself out. It's already, yeah. it's already regulating. Also, I had to get up early this morning because I had to talk to a very special guest for my podcast this morning. So oh, um, nice. it was, um, Who'd you talk to? I'm not going to tell you. Well, <laughs> 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 how dare, how dare you this is Clifton. You? This is Clifton. I've got this great joke. I'm not going to tell you. I've got this great guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are. <laughs> Man of mystery over here. I'm not He's thinking, this is this is yeah. this is my this is you know how they have those commercials where it's like this is your brain on drugs. This is my brain off of drugs. It's still in it's still in the shell. <laughs> it's not. It's back in the shell. It's not making no sense. You know, I'm just uh, uh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm happy to be well, here. What's good for you. I'm happy for you. Good for you. Um, well, have you? I was going to ask both of you. Have because you're both artists. Have you ever done? Stand up? Have you ever done an open mic? I've done I, open mic for for rapping, but I've never done it for stand up. And I have okay. not. But I've I've started writing some stuff in the. This was a few years ago, in the thoughts that maybe I would, but it didn't happen. So I think you, I think you should definitely do it at least once. And and Cecil, you should just take those dad jokes and just mm -hmm. keep telling them just at the microphone until somebody laughs. Because if you just yes. keep going, by the time you get to the tenth one, people will laugh. I'm blanking on his name, but there's this Scottish there's this Scottish comedian, and I don't know if if all of his sets are like this, but at least the set that I saw was pretty much just all straight bad pun dad jokes, and it was great. I mean, I think the Brits, from what I've seen at least on Twitter, is like, and I I don't mean to say that the Scottish or the Brits, but all the people from the UK tend to seem to like the puns more than the Americans do. Well, it's which is great for me. I love them. Americans. What's that? It's because they're not as sophisticated as as we Americans, right? That's, no, that's why. That's See, but I think who who was it that said that puns are the highest form of comedy? Do you do you do you guys know that quote? Somebody in chat, tell us. Someone I know who it's really liked puns. Yeah, <laughs> a failed comedian. But, 
exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I used to think that was silly. And now in my older age, I'm starting to understand. I'm like, no, I think you're right. I think it is the highest form of comedy sometimes. No, just, no, I'm going to argue yeah. with that one. <laughs> really? Yeah. Have you, yeah, because my, my, my ex-father-in-law it uh is like was a hollywood person his whole life he wrote game show like stuff that you guys would know he did game shows and that kind of stuff and he's a nice guy but it's hard to be around him for more than like 15 minutes because every sentence there's puns like every single sentence and it's funny when you first meet like people when first meet him, we're like oh this is great he's hilarious and the whole family is just kind of goes like uh I don't know. Come back to us in an hour and tell us if you still think this is hilarious. It's constant. And so, I don't know. I think um, puns can be fun like once in a while, but I don't think they can be a staple of good comedy. I think it just gets tiring. No, no one cares. No, we had a good Twitter roll, Cecil. Wait, no, we do, and I I love doing it on Twitter. I mean, I I have to admit, I'm. That's I'm, what she said. Right. <laughs> That's the second second highest form of comedy. That's what she said. <laughs> she said. <laughs> no, I mean, really? wait a minute. Maybe the show should be Cecil doing dad jokes and Clifton just once in a while. So something completely crass to derail. <laughs> you know, the I whole show. To, I had show this joke those. where I would uh, I would. I would uh, like impersonate the voice of Morgan Freeman, uh, but saying completely just ridiculous, uh, horrifically perverted things. <laughs> okay, so Pirate Tomsky just said he who would make a pun would pick a pocket. And I was going to say that, that for as much as I make puns, I don't understand why that phrase is funny. And I'm going to get all the shit in the world from people, but I don't understand I don't either. But and I've looked it up and I've looked it up like what's the origin of that phrase to try to understand it. and there was some sort of it's an old like 1800s novel that it came out of where somebody was like a punster in the conversation and then this other person got frustrated with all of the puns that he was saying kind of like your ex-father-in-law and and he said something like he who would make a pun would pick a pocket and people say that all the time and I'm like I don't get why I'm supposed to laugh because I don't understand why that's funny I mean like I've never heard that a pickpocket is a person who picks a pocket. Like, where's the pun? I don't know. Is it supposed to be funny or is it just like some aphorism, like stay away from people who make puns? I don't know. Sorry, Pirate Tomsky, pay us, pay us more money and tell us why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> pay us to teach us, Pirate Tomsky. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so one thing to bring it back to the Neil Young thing. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. One, All the way back there. All right. Here yeah. we go. Back to the order of the day. <laughs> well, one thing we haven't talked about, because we kind of went off into art. What's the difference between the art and the artist? He, Pirate Tomsky says it's not supposed to be funny, by the way. Or punny. Um, so, so uh, no, nobody? I like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about stand-up comedy? I think you really... <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I used to, I used to... Uh, Wait a minute, you used to manage comedians. I did, yeah. And you, did yeah. you learn nothing in all that time? I'm messing with you. I'm just. Messing. I know. I'm pretty bad, but you know what? Open mics are. I've have done open mic twice now, and it is amazing because it's terrifying. Yeah. And it's just everything. Time slows down, like really slow. <laughs> comedy, comedy is very hard. It's, it's comedy is so difficult. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there are people who are funny in life, but then when, when you're put under pressure to perform, um, like, you know, when I, <clears throat> I clown yeah. class in the, in uh, conservatory and one of the first, the first day we'd all get in a circle and one person had to stand in the middle and just make everyone else laugh. And you would be surprised at how difficult and how terrifying that is. And you would see people just try to like goof off or do some crazy stuff. And we'd just be like, no. Yeah. And then what, and then what's messed up and maybe it says something about human nature is that when that person sort of, when all their tricks didn't work and when all, and when it was clear they were failing and they got really uncomfortable and then, you know, even sort of miserable and maybe even crying a little bit, then it became hilarious. Then it became funny. That's the thing about the puns. I think when you take them to that excruciating level, then they suddenly become funny. If you, if you wait that long because they're not funny for so long and then it becomes embarrassing. But you know what? Along those lines, my husband just said to me this morning, he's like, whenever he, sometimes he tries to make me laugh and nothing. Cause I don't, it just goes over my head or I don't, it's like, or it's not funny. And, <laughs> and then other times he's not trying at all, but I laugh forever. And he's, he was like, I don't understand. He's like the me that doesn't make you laugh is really jealous of the me that makes you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's trying to figure it out. But it's like sometimes, cause it's not, there's no accounting for like you're saying, there's no accounting for what's going to work. And sometimes when you're trying, it just doesn't, it falls flat. But then you know what I've found, just... Carrie, is that short jokes always go over her head. Oh my God. Oh. I knew someone was going <laughs> to say it. I thought that's the first thing I thought about. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to go there. But thank you. Thank you, Cecil. But for Cecil's like, I'm going to pick that fruit. There Cecil we go. go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to bring it back to the Neil, Neil Young thing quickly, because we talked about the art and the art separating all that stuff. One of the things that uh, I saw happening online is that people were saying, I think in seriousness, people on the left were tweeting things like, oh, the people who don't believe in cancel culture are now canceling Neil Young. And I just, we just had a laugh about that here because it's, it's, nobody's canceling Neil Young. He canceled himself. He tried to cancel <laughs> Joe Rogan. He tried to use his power when he, th he thought he had a certain amount of power. He tried to use that to get Joe Rogan canceled and it backfired that nobody's canceling him. Nobody said, get Neil Young off Spotify. He said it. He said, get me off Spotify. If you won't get rid of Rogan. One like, of my tweets recently was like, Hey, Neil Young, when you're done with your tantrum and you want to come play with us again, like you're welcome to come play with us. And that's why we're yes. cooler than you are. Like, yes. I, I, like I'm, I'm making a joke, but but ultimately, like he, yeah, he's like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to go play in my own sandbox if you don't do what I okay. want. And we're yeah. like, okay. Like, I didn't ask you to get up here and try to cancel Joe Rogan. Like, I didn't. And yeah. I don't I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel that way, to be honest. Neil, like, if you can hear me, I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to just chill. Like, I want you to be okay with people talking about ivermectin and, like, What's so scary about those things? Like, talk about yeah. shit. Is that so bad? Like, you yeah. were in the 60s and you're writing like protest songs against the man. And now you're like, I think the man should, you know, put his finger down on this person over here, this Joe Rogan guy who's not saying the things that I agree with. Like, it's just yeah. sad. Although, I was, all oh, I was going to ask you, Carrie, actually, have you, do you think, I'm, I was wondering, I had, I was wondering if we're going to start seeing people like Neil Young and maybe Barry Manilow, if he follows in his footsteps or whatever, start claiming to be victims of cancel culture. I'm wondering if, like, are, are they going to start saying that, oh, we're victims of cancel culture? 
Well, I don't know if they're going to say it, but the people online are. They they think it's a point for them. They think they're, that they're exposing hypocrisy, <laughs> but they're not. They're fundamentally misunderstanding or misrepresenting what's happening. He canceled. He said, I'm going to take my toys and go home unless you do this thing I'm demanding. Right. And Spotify said, okay, I'm, we're sorry to lose you. Take your take your toys and go home, I guess. <laughs> right. And yeah. and then he's like, I've been canceled. No. That's <laughs> like... It's just not what's happening. I was going to ask you, Cecil, I thought about doing this for my husband. I wonder if you did this with your music. I was going to make a demand on Twitter to Spotify that either either my husband's music stays or Neil Young's music stays. It looks like they chose my husband. <laughs> Here's the link. <laughs> nice. I like it. You can like do it. that. Try. I couldn't quite figure out how to do that pro promo, but maybe you can figure right, it out. Right, right. Kind of all these post, post-mortem promos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for choosing like me. Thanks for choosing me over <laughs> Neil Young. I like it. Um, Clifton, do you have music on, on Spotify? No, no, at least not yet. That, that's that's one of the next things that I want to do. Um, I want to start recording. And, um, <clears throat> you know, back in the day, I used to do a little rapping. And uh, the singing is probably my first love anyway. So once I'm able uh, to get myself uh, situated, um, I, I look I forward only, to start producing music. I only rap around Christmas time. Oh! You know what? I, I gotta say this because uh, uh, my my roommate in my freshman year of college, um, I, I left him to death. He was this really interesting uh, jazz musician named named Tim, and he would do this thing where, like, like we're talking. Like, I, I love deliberately bad. He like Norm Macdonald was very good at this. Just make like just making deliberately awful jokes like really funny, and so. Uh, my my roommate would just uh, he would repeat whatever it was that you just said, and then tack on with your mom last night. Oh, oh. At, at at the end of it, and and the more and the more of a non sequitur it was, yes. the more hilarious yes. it was. That's and, the, and, my, and you know who's yes. you know and you know who's really good at that actually unexpectedly is anybody remember who um uh, Sally Struthers? Uh, yes, she. <laughs> I did a show with her. Uh, we did we did the world premiere of uh, of. Uh, it was a, a stage adaptation of Clue. Uh, I was playing Professor Plum, and I told this to, to Sally, who's uh, she is she is hilarious and just uh, she's such a sweetheart. And she every time she made a mom joke, it was hysterical because she just went for it, and she was like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was reading uh, I was reading uh, Basic Economics last night. I read Basic Economics with your mom last night. Oh. <laughs> And it was like it was stupid stuff like that. I was like, Sally, why are you so like why are you so absurd? It's just it's just hilarious. That's my favorite kind of that's what she said jokes. Or or as you're saying, your mom is when they are more the more absurd, the better. When it just kind of makes sense, but not really, that's when it's the most I don't know how to define that little area, but that's when it's the most funny. Like if it's obviously sexually explicit and you say your mom, blah, 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 okay. But if it's kind of like right on the line and it's absurd, that that cracks me up. Like, right. no, like somebody, somebody I, said, I, I wait, real quick. I did one I was very proud of before I got banned. A band currently banned from Facebook for seven days, but some guy was talking about. Uh, I think it was the trucker protest that's happening or something, and he said, "Sounds like a super spreader event." And I said, "Your mom is a super spreader event." <laughs> that <laughs> it's kind of like I mean it is sexual but not right. it's kind of like right. but it's funny and how can you not laugh at that James Lindsay's the, the king of these jokes your mom jokes 
but how can you not laugh at that? Even if you're on the receiving end of it, it's just being, I always think that kind of a joke is, is sort of a, an olive branch, even to the person you're saying it to, because you're sort of inviting them to laugh at this really absurd thing with you. It, it doesn't like, how can you get offended at that? Yeah. So, Cause you're not fighting openly anymore. You're just like, let's laugh about our disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I shot my viral load all over her face. Oh, no. <laughs> too much is the is Carter is the baby there? That's, I'm sorry. No, see that went with that way. It's okay though, but she she was vaccinated, so she's fine. She's all right. <laughs> the Without pot, you are raunchy, man. <laughs> Look, the vaccines prevent hospitalization and death, and I'm not a doctor, so go consult your doctor before you you shoot your viral load over anybody. Okay. <laughs> That's Good the advice. responsible thing to do. <laughs> I, I will say I have. Should I leave? I Should I just go? No, Please don't. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what so, were you saying, Cecil? So I was just saying James Lindsay. I, I wrote a joke for James Lindsay that was, okay. who is James Lindsay's favorite concert cellist? Yo, yo, write, mama. But, but it's yeah, yo, 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 mama. mama. Yo mama. Why don't you just do the setups and let us guess the punchlines? <laughs> <laughs> we can try that. Maybe on a different stream. We can just do all of that. That sounds okay. Cool. So maybe I've got... we'll have we'll have you back for a stream where all the rejects that don't make your book, you just go uh, through all the rejected jokes. I like it. Okay. So I have a since we're talking about humor and we're just being silly today. There's a friend of mine. We've had him on the show, Kyle Abernathy. It was when we did, talked about the difference between progressives and liberals. He's a progressive. He's not woke, though. It's very interesting. Anyway, he's the funniest sense of humor. Online, he cracks me up so much. And he'll do, there's this trend. I don't know if you guys have seen it, where somebody will go, around Christmas time, they'll say, you've heard of Elf on a Shelf. Now look at, and they'll do... Like here's one is is Blanche from Golden Girls hugging a ball of ranch, like Blanche on a ranch, right? right. But they don't say Blanche on a ranch. He always posts the most absurd. He'll make it rhyme though. He'll say um, uh, uh, blessing on a dressing, and and people are in the comments like, no, it's Blanche, it's Blanche on ranch. And he's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> and he'll just come up and so all the wrong answers, all the wrong answers, but nice. they'll rhyme awesome. and they'll make sense. They'll just be straight and people will be in the comments like, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, whatever the image is, it's like, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, Dolly on a folly or whatever. And he's like, but he's all got the wrong ones. I can't explain it. It's just funny. He'll also do this thing where he, he'll take acronyms like, uh, laughing out like LOL and he'll say, LOL out loud. He'll say the last two words, even though he'll say, <laughs> he'll, he'll say, OMG, my God. <laughs> That's just obnoxious. I like that. I, like that. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> then we're just talking about humor today. It's, it seems. But, <laughs> I think Twitter is fantastic for that. I mean, like, I think just the, the focus on memes, obviously the fact that like memes can be hilarious, but also just like watching random people, normal people, I'm a normal person, anybody just respond with hilarious comments. Like it's, it's great. I, I, it's wonderful to see normal people be just as funny as some comedian yeah. that you, you listen to. I mean, maybe they're not consistently as funny. Maybe they can't do it on stage, but man, they get that like perfect comment on a tweet and you're just like, 
It's fucking hilarious. This yeah. is great. People, people it. are, people are hilarious. The internet is so funny, and people are oh, yeah. hilarious. And uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that I love about it the most. Like, even if, even if I'm the butt of the jokes, because I'm just like, like someone once asked me. Um, uh, they ended up blocking me after I answered, but they they were like, <laughs> they were trying to tone police. Uh, I think it was like an Instagram comment uh, battle or something, whatever. And I was just like. Um, they were like, don't you don't you have a problem? What if someone said a racist joke? Wouldn't you have a problem with that? I was like, not if it were funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, and I was I was sort of like tongue in cheek, but it's like, uh, uh, you know, some some of the stuff is just the the stuff people come up with, and uh, you know, be they memes or just like just random irreverent uh, comedy, it's just it's it's genius. It's just a, it's a big. It's a big um, playground with a bunch of just crazy people kind of jump jumping in, and I'm like, the, the people's sense of humor is just uh, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Well, it, it breaks down barriers. Like when people are laughing, like they forget about caring about what you think about politics or what country you're from or what color you you are. Like I, I feel like James Lindsay made this great thing when he was talking to uh, Glenn Lowry. And he, he made this comparison about how like in the late 80s, 90s, you had all these black comedians making fun of white culture. And it was hilarious. Like he's like, the point was you kind of broke down all these barriers in the in the 80s and 90s with people like Chris Rock or or whomever telling hilarious jokes that made white people laugh at themselves about, you know, obvious aspects of white culture. And he's like, that did so much more than than sitting people down and, and saying, now you need to really think about your internalized whiteness and you know, you need to really yeah. think about uh, all the ways that you've been bad. And it's just, uh, yeah. And I think, I think we need to remember that because this like, you can't force people how to feel about anything. And like what Clifton just said about, well, if it's a funny racist joke, like there are gonna be, be people who are racists in this world who legitimately don't like somebody else because of the color of their skin. And it's like, how do you change their mind? Like, ultimately, there's nothing. There's nothing that you can do that is some guaranteed way of changing their mind. But you can definitely like make people laugh and not take themselves so seriously. Because like, so much of racism is like taking yourself way too seriously. Like, oh my God, I'm a white person, and that means X, Y, Z. I'm like, threatened by these people, and I'm better than these people, and whatever. It's like, it's all bullshit. Just laugh. Just we're all we're all absurd. We're all humans who get up and pick our nose and you know defecate and like we're all we're all absurd in so many ways and the comedians remind us of that and take us down a notch and i, I so I, anyway all of this what we're doing you know you're having artists on your show you guys have a show you're creating the culture i think that's what we have to do we have to we have to make our culture so good and authentic and enticing that the rest of the people who are so caught up in themselves and what they think the world has to be can't help but uh, whatever he was up. about to say was brilliant i think oh <laughs> you froze right on the, the final you were bringing it home and that last point you froze up i was all i was saying was that i feel like with our culture with what we're building via your podcasts and our music and our comedy and all of those things like we have to make our culture so enticing to the people who are, who are, so everything has to fit into this box and you have to think this way. We have to make ourselves so wanted that they, they have to give up their regimented ideals and come over and hang out with us because we're having so much more fun than they are.
Yeah. I, I know, Carrie, you said as well no, as it, it, it was good. Okay. I think Carrie, you've brought this up in the past, and it's something that I, I think is is one of the the superpowers of of comedy is that it bypasses no matter what your conscious belief systems are, it kind of bypasses all of those and and wiggles its way into your unconscious and and elicits a response from you regardless of whether you like that response or not. Like you can't help but laugh. If it's funny, even if on the surface you're supposed to be very offended or upset by it, right, um, right. and I think it's a it's a great way to um, it's a great way to expose that kind of cognitive dissonance or that um, lack of authenticity within people when they're like I'm laughing at this, and like you can't help but notice I'm not supposed to be laughing at this, but I can't help but like there's something untrue about my facade. If I'm laughing about something that I can't, that I'm not, that I, that I disapprove of. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Totally. It's cathartic too. I mean, mm. it can change your mood entirely. And yeah, people, that's people who deny themselves the ability to laugh because if you're in the, if you're in any fundamentalist belief system, like social justice, which is, I would say is a fundamentalist belief system. There are certain things you're not allowed to laugh at. And so you're, you're like cutting off this really cathartic outlet for yourself that where you're just denying yourself that, that, that unbridled joy, um, that natural impulse, you stifle it, you suffocate it. It's really sad. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Clifton's about to say something really rude, so I was gonna. I'm pausing. (laughs) No, Clifton, your mic is off. Is he talking? Because I don't. Oh, his mic's off. As I was saying, good morning, everybody. No, I was. I was was reading this. uh, This chat. (laughs) What? So I was reading it? the chat. I, th- I thought it was just a silly joke about. Um, uh, I'm not going to ruin it, but uh, spoil it. But uh, it was a joke about um, uh, about antibodies. Oh, well, we we all saw. Oh, it. oh, <laughs> oh, it's good. Read it. Read it. Yeah. Henrik, Henrik says I had COVID in December, but I don't feel immunized. I must have antibody dysmorphia. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I delivered that well. You should have read that one, Clifton. <laughs> I don't think I should have, but uh, there's there's a there's my friend Adam Coleman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hi, Adam. I identify as Clifton Duncan. He's appropriating me now. <laughs> it seems a little a little graphic, but uh, I'll I'll make sure to clean up afterwards, Adam. Yes, as long as you charge an, for it. But our Kelly joke in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's only if. Never mind. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, we're seeing the real Clifton today. This is a new. This is, this is not me. This is this is me exhausted. This is and, you off uh, the pot. I, this is this is you. You're letting that, it out. N- clearly, clearly, the pot was an improvement. No, it's I think just, you should uh, spark up. I get I get oh. I get very punchy when I'm uh, when I've no. had no sleep and I've yeah. had, I haven't been sleeping that much uh, for the past week. So, I'm sorry. Uh, that sucks. Anyway, the reason no, no, I mentioned I, melatonin, I don't take it that often, but uh, when I have trouble, it usually works. You, but anyway, I didn't sleep last night either. Long story short, I'm also inarticulate today. <laughs> Tiger, 
Tiger was just like, I don't know what his deal is. He might have COVID. He was just hacking stuff up all night and making noise. Oh. And every time I was almost about to be asleep, he was flapping his body and his ears. He does this flapping. Anyway, very tired. I saw a tweet earlier today of just, it was a person showing how crazy the world is. And it was, it was a person holding their dog and the dog had a mask on it. I saw a tweet from a woman who said she was quarantining herself from her cat because she didn't want her cat to catch COVID from her. And that that was the saddest part of having COVID was having to isolate from her cat for two weeks. If that's the saddest <laughs> part, what are we doing? Right. <laughs> like, now I have to watch Bridget Jones's diary by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of hogging dogs. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's do some super like chats movie, since we started. Mm -hmm. I, really, you like this movie? That movie? I do like. It. You know what? I I like I like a good sort of romantic comedy. Actually, one of my, one of, one of my favorite moments uh, in in like in film in terms of like just a completely dry delivery was uh it's it's that scene where she's like she's giving some uh some you, you remember she's she's at, they're, they're at like a party or something I think it's a book opening and um, reception. And she's at the microphone and she's speaking into it and there's no sound coming out. And so this guy just steps up and he, he just grabs it from her just casually and goes, just switch this on. <laughs> and, just going. and it's just so it's so dry, but like so withering. And it's just complete uh, uh, just this destruction of her idiocy. It's just it's so and it's so understated and, and so British. I, I love it so much. I need to rewatch that. We were watching oh, yeah. a lot of rewatching a lot of old movies. Have you guys seen Blast from the Past? This no. is an old movie with Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, yeah. Yes, and who else is in it? Alicia Silverstone. And is it's that one the of one where he's like in a like a cryogenic thing or something? Oh, a bunker. no, that's Encino Man. Oh. No, no, no. Oh, I haven't okay. rewatched that different. one. No, this is uh, this is better. I'm sure it's okay. it, he's he's under the ground with with Christopher Walken. He basically grows up in an underground bunker because his dad thought there was going to be Christopher Walken. Yeah, <laughs> and then he and then he comes up he comes up to the surface in the 90s, but he's been raised like it was the 50s, and so he's just an oddity in Los Angeles. Like, there's just a lot of funny scenes about actually about culture that make you think about culture. The way he treats women, he always pulls out the seat, and he's really popular because nobody does this anymore. He like pulls out the chair for the lady. He's like sitting at the restaurant before they eat. He says a prayer and everyone looks at him like, oh, like who's praying before? Gross. <laughs> He's just this antiquated lifestyle. Yeah. Whatever but it's funny. And it's a romantic comedy. I have no, I have no idea. I tried to do some memes that it was like, let's go, Brendan. Like and then it was a picture of Brendan Fraser and he's like, yeah, uh, like no. <laughs> let's go, Brandon. Yeah, didn't work. Just, How'd that no, go? No, not about as well as it did just now. Mm. Did, didn't yeah. catch on. Mm -mm, no. <laughs> let's do some super jets because because Carrie Carrie read a couple. We might as well just bang them out and then we can move move on to That's uh, whatever whatever crash thing Clifton would like to say next. Marie Busky says some cabbage for tigers. Facebook jail bond is posting when you're renovating is getting subversive. Hi, Cecil, she says. Thank you, Marie. Who said that? Marie Busky. Marie Busky, okay, cool. Hello, Marie. <laughs> Pirate Queen says, Barry Manilow is joining Neil Young and protesting Joe Rogan, elevator music aficionado's hardest hit. I w you know what? <sighs> I don't know how old you are, Pirate Queen, but let me tell you, 
it sucks when you get old enough that your cool, angry, edgy, alternative punk bands from your childhood are playing in CVS. And I have <laughs> been that age for a while, and it, it does kind of suck. Uh, Were you talking about Weezer recently? Was that was that the example no, that you used? No, I don't like used? Weezer. No. Who Thank was it you, that was playing in CVS? That was... Well, um, first of all, The Cure started playing in CVS a long time ago, which was very depressing. Um, not that they're, I mean, they're normally depressing, but it's depressing in a worse way. Um, the other day I heard Garbage playing in CVS. <laughs> I was like, seriously? Garbage is playing in CVS? Um, and what, what else did I hear? I feel like there was one other recently that it was just like, you know, come on. So also, there's just an, to, speaking of... To, Oh, sorry. Just not not to be a, the the turd in the punch bowl, but uh, that go ahead. That comment, that comment was stolen from a tweet that I saw earlier. Um, that that exact wording, uh, as I ah. it had like over five thousand, I think, likes on it that last time I saw. So uh, stop biting people's jokes. Uh, was it Elizabeth or it was Pirate it? Queen? But maybe she's the Pirate one who tweeted Queen? it. I don't know why I called her. No, I don't think it was. I don't. Uh, I don't know why I called her Elizabeth. I just assume. I, I just assume because there was Queen in the name. I guess I associated with Elizabeth. Sure, Queen Elizabeth, Pirate Queen Elizabeth. She can. She can change her name. Another so pirate. Pirate of, Tomsky. Well, oh, go well, ahead. Speaking of music changing, you're making me think of an old Nick. I think it was Nick Swardson joke, where he talks about how realizing he's getting old and how culture changes. Sort of. Uh, he's like, you know, when we when I was a kid, and our grandparents would listen to what we thought of as old timey music and we would think so old and out of style. Right. And he's like, but when we become grandparents, it's going to be like, you think this is music put on hungry, like the wolf, you know? (laughs) And yeah, but now I've, I've now, I think it's even, I think about that joke a lot because that joke's kind of old now, but the music has gone so far that like the kids that are growing up right now, they're going to be saying, put on WAP. I mean, when yeah. their grandparents is so gross, they're gonna be like, put on Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it just yeah. keeps progressing and progressing to a place of, of I don't know, just absolute. Hedonism. Did you grow up? Did you grow up listening just to to contemporary music though? I mean, like for me, like I grew up with the Beatles and jazz and and um, some, oh yeah, classical. You know, for me, my my, I don't feel like. I'm ever going to grow out of what I like because it's it's always been this weird longitudinal mix of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you're a musician, so I think that you are mm-hmm. you probably trend more towards having an eclectic uh, musical uh, library. And I do have one of those. People will often call me an old soul because of the music I like to listen to. But I used to think everybody listened to a lot of old music, and they don't. They right. don't. They're. I know this because one of the jobs I work. I have to listen to a lot of the music people choose, but sometimes they'll let me put on the music I want. And then everyone's like, what is this little rascal shit? And I'm like, it's not little rascal from the twenties. <laughs> okay. But people, they, they really, even like classic country. I, I, I worked my gig job yesterday. I don't usually work on Thursdays, but I worked it yesterday And this. Um, I was playing some old fifties and sixties, like classic, like real country. Okay. So like Buck Owens, Marty Robbins, whatever. And this lady's like, put on some good country. And I'm like, wow, people suck. Like your musical tastes suck. (laughs) Put on something that talks about beers and tractors, you know, or I don't know. (laughs) Is that what real country is? (laughs) Well, they're talking when they, 
Yeah, I guess because when she was talking about what country, she was talking about this radio algorithm created crap. Oh, yeah. And how can yeah. you be a call yourself a country music fan and not have an appreciation for the roots, like where it came from and the real stuff? And back when people actually played their instruments live and did, or like the Beatles, you're talking about the Beatles, season, well, they took everything in one take in the studio. Mm -hmm. And like that time when people would come in, now they literally have buttons to you know auto-tune your voice and every instrument and oh, it's, yeah. it sounds like computerized garbage to me some musical oh, yeah. styles some musical styles that's what you want but not with not with like country music you don't want everything auto-tuned do you like well, i mean I, I think ableton is the uncredited artist on 98 percent of the things that are out right now right um one of my um one of my favorite recordings ever is uh, studio recordings is Marvin Gaye singing stubborn kind of fellow and by the there's a point near the end of the song um, I don't remember uh, I think the lyric is something like uh, as far as girls I've kissed a few and I know a few have kissed me too and when he when he says that uh, he, he goes he's like I know a few have kissed me too but he cracks so bad when he goes up and it literally is like I know a few have kissed me too and and I'm like, yo, they kept that. They kept it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> they kept it in the recording. Yeah. There's a documentary with um, Paul uh, from the Beatles who, I'm, I'm, it's, not the, it's not the doc that just came out. It's, a, it's where they're, they're talking to him now in present day and they're taking, I forget what it's called, but maybe someone in chat knows. They're taking old clips and they're isolating his voice in different parts of the mm. songs and letting him comment on it. He's in the studio with like a producer. And they isolate, they take out all the music and they're just listening to his vocals at one point. And it's so out of tune and off key. It's terrible, but they <laughs> left it in and it works. It works. It's like, it's real. And when it's, you don't actually notice it unless you're isolating everything else. Right. They would never do that today. They would, I feel like they would, they would want to perfect it and, and you yeah. just lose some of the authenticity. Well, there's also well today he would be on a separate track. It would get processed, and like they would have him re-recorded if there was problems separate from everyone else. Like it wouldn't be anything like yeah, that, right? Yeah. Oh, when you when you there's... record vocals, so like you'll do take out. I mean, at least this is how my producer does it within the computer program. Whatever you're using, Pro Tools or or Logic or whatever, you'll just do take after take, and it'll it's called cascading, and it's like it'll layer each take beneath the other one. And then he can go through and say like, well, I want this word from this take. And then I want this word from this take. And then I want this word from this take. And you can like, as long as you sang it close enough each time, you know, that the words were, were time-wise basically in the same spot, you can pull, you can pull that word and this word and like, and make something that sounds pretty authentic. It, it's so tough because as an artist, I mean, you want, you know, when you sound good and you know, when you don't sound good. And you want to sound good, especially if it's the product that you're spending, you know, a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars on that song specifically. Like you want it to sound as good as it can. So I mean, a lot of it is not just some producer saying it's 2022 and everything has to be perfect. A lot of it is that we have the tools and the artists want to sound as good as they can. But to your point, is like you can overdo it. And when do you, when does it become overdone? When does it become computerized when does it sound inauthentic and it's hard there's no obvious place in which that happens there's no obvious way to say like marvin Gaye cracking his voice cracking on that song was was better or not without just listening to the two and finally making some choice but 
I don't know. It's tempting. It's tempting, especially as an artist, to like want to make things as good as you can. So Perfect. I, I have some empathy. Well, there's also yeah. um, I was going to say For before myself. there's some, <laughs> there's going to there's some great recordings of um of like Michael Jackson doing doing a, his some demos. Um, somebody posted on Instagram, like his original kind of when he was layering his vocals for the, the, the harmonies on Thriller. And <clears throat> it's just funny to me because I just, I mean, like, first of all, you realize, I mean, I think we all agree that he was a musical genius. Um, and, uh, but it's great on one hand, because you, you hear the imperfections, like it's not, it's not mixed and like, and it's not clean. He's just laying down the vocals and it's sort of rough and, you know, I, I, as a singer, I'm, I feel like he's sort of still navigating where some of the some of the harmonies kind of sit in his voice. And um, but the great thing is that it's just about it's about process. And you know, you mentioned before you and Cecil uh, Carey mentioned uh, perfection. I think you know today so much is about the the shiny, finished, glossy product, and it's not really about. Like I had a great I worked with a director who made a point. He said, you know, if if uh, Nina Simone or Billie Holiday were to try out for The Voice or American Idol or something today, they would never, ever make it past the first round. And, um, you know, so you have all these pretty shiny people who sing all these high notes and do all this sort of vocal pyrotechnics, but you don't feel anything. Like the difference for, for me between like a Mariah Carey and a Whitney Houston is that a Whitney Houston knows how to tell a story and she's tapping into something that is deeper than just what the notes are on the page. You know, they both have the ability to go into these pyrotechnics. And Mariah, you know, she has this incredible, ridiculous range. And but, you know, but you watch Whitney Houston. There's a video of her singing um, "Home" from The Wiz, the musical The Wiz, at like maybe ten years old. And even at that point, at that age, she was able to just stay still in the center of a stage and just tell a story and and transport you emotionally to a place as opposed to just like i'm going to sound cool and do all this kind of crazy stuff that sounds impressive but you know it doesn't really it doesn't really make you feel anything mm -hmm. i think the storytelling aspect there is is key and I, again how do you quantify that i don't know but but you have to have a good song i mean i think that's the other half of it is i mean good songs it's not that that there aren't good songs being written today and i think we're always biased because the stuff from the from the past that we hear now is stuff that has survived the test of time so we're looking back at like the stuff from the 50s and 60s and nobody's listening to the shit that came out of the 50s and 60s they're listening to the really really good stuff and so we look at that and we're like man they wrote amazing stuff during the 60s of course they did i mean the 60s was a special time musically because of everything that was happening socially and musically and all of that but i but i do think in the end like it takes i i was listening to um to sting if you haven't listened to rick beato's channel on youtube it's beat like b-e-a-t with an o at the end beato is how he says it rick beato he's this uh i think he taught musicology but he's talented musician was in bands and whatnot, but he's basically made a YouTube channel of like analyzing songs and understanding why they work, why they don't, like what are the coolest guitar riffs and he'll play them for you and whatnot. But he has, he has like notable people on his show also. And he had Sting on there and Sting was talking about um, how like if, if when he's listening to something he hasn't heard before, if within the first, you know, 10 seconds of the song, there's nothing that surprises him there's nothing that catches him and goes like, oh, that's a new way of doing that. That's an interesting way of, you know, an interesting interval between those two notes or, or chord progression or, or lyric that he'll turn it off. 
And I mean, obviously not everybody's that, not everybody is staying with his high mindedness, but there's something there about like, we, you have to have a quality product. And I mean, Whitney Houston could sing happy birthday and I'm sure it'd be beautiful, but it's not going to move us like Whitney Houston sing, singing Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You because I Will Always Love You is an amazing, amazing song. And then you put Whitney Houston, who's like this genius performer, and it, it becomes this thing that will, that'll be a song that the humans will be singing, you know, 10,000 years from now, if I had to guess. So mm-hmm. you, you need both. It can't, and that, I, that's why like, I don't watch, I don't watch American Idol and, and it's, those people are really, really talented, but they're rarely bringing something super unique because they're just singing somebody else's song and they're not likely doing it in a new or different way. So yeah. I was going to say, or you said people will be singing it in a hundred years or not, because I think part of what's happening now we see in, in universities anyway, and every, all this woke stuff starts there and spreads out from there, but they're trying to get rid of foundational texts and foundational uh, scores, musical pieces, composers. And they're saying it's because, well, this is, it's white supremacy to have all of these, you know, books from white men or from white composers. And um, this recent interview that Jordan Peterson did with Joe Rogan helped me think about that in a different way. When he was talking about, when he was talking about every, the older a text is, he was sort of, he was calling them foundational texts. He was actually talking about the Bible being a foundational text, but he was like, everything is sort of built upon you know, each other, you're kind of building this, this wealth of uh, knowledge, literature or, or music or what have you. And so these, some of these texts that they're wanting to remove, they're not important because it was white man. Nobody's singing. I will always love you because it was written by a white woman by Dolly Parton. They're singing it because it's foundational. Like there are these, you know, styles are built on one on top of each other. They're constructed in such a way that they're trying to remove some of the building blocks and say, these aren't important at all. And have you guys thought about things in that way before? I, it was new for me to think of it that way. This is, um, this is what I was talking about earlier today with my uh, super secret special guest. Um, uh, you know, when you read, cause you know, I think one of the beginnings of my sort of, um, transformation, if, if we call it that, uh, or, you know, red pilling, it was very gradual and, and really innocent because I was reading these old plays. And when you read, you know, the, the Greek, when, you, when you're reading Greek tragedy, when you're reading uh, Shakespeare, when you're reading the works of like Anton Chekhov, the great Russian pre- playwright, and you realize um, over time that uh, even though cultures change and civilizations change, I began to realize that what what fundamentally motivates people remains the same. And so if you begin to focus on decolonizing and, and deconstructing this sort of classical canon, um, you, the, you're removing these foundational, they're, they're not just foundational in terms of like our literature, they're foundational in terms of explaining to us who we are. And so you have these generations of children now and young people who are growing up the, and they've been told that these texts are problematic for any number of reasons. I mean, sure, you know, I, I can look at some of other language and some of Shakespeare's plays and, uh, you know, where, where the term Ethiop is used as a, as a, as a um, epithet. But at the same time, 
um, if you are completely ignorant to who we are is that the full scope of humanity, if you if you leave that alone. And on top of that, you know, if you go through Shakespeare's texts uh, and uh, Isaac Asimov, of all people, wrote um, a fantastic, fantastic sort of two volume um, uh, compendium of, of all of Shakespeare's uh, works. And the, the legend has it that he sat down at a typewriter and just kind of wrote all this stuff from his head. But he's going through all the historical references, all the mythological references, because Shakespeare's audience would have recognized, you know, who uh, Diane was, or they would have known what a paragon is. They would have understood all of these references to, um, uh, gosh, they would have known who, you know, who Pericles was, because that was just a part of their uh, of their culture, their, their education. They would, have, they would have understood all the references to the Bible and Christianity and all these Greek and Roman figures. And um, and my thing is, why why take why remove all of those things instead of and be resentful about them? Why why not just take and build off of what they of what they left us? We can build on top of that and add to our own mythology and use what what they what they um what the masters of the past created. And um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Dr. Peterson is uh, is is uh, bang on, as the British say, uh, with with these with this assessment. You know, you if if you call them foundational texts, you know, the, it's not just the foundation of our our, art, our artistic culture, but it's also uh, foundational to our understanding of ourselves as people. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, if you take them really away, it's hard to it's hard to build, right? If you take those foundations away, it's hard to then um, create new work um, that that is relatable, <clears throat> right? Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to your conversation. It, it's uh, also odd that the whole the Sunday. whole drive is to okay. It feels like there's there are a number of people who want to get rid of any sort of art that comes from somebody who had a questionable past, whether they were a racist or whatever. And yet the flip side is is they're saying, well, teaching CRT in school, for example, is just teaching America's blighted past. It's like, well, what do you want? Do you want to only show things from people who were perfect or do you want to teach the, the truth of what it is to be human, you know? And I, I, I just thought of this just now, so I haven't really formulated it perfectly, but I, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's just another example of hypocrisy in the sense of don't go through the past and take away every, you know, every piece of art or every piece of music that was from somebody who wasn't perfect. Don't do that because, you know, ultimately you are, as Clifton was saying, you're taking away evidence of what it is to be human and to be human is to be imperfect. And I think it's pretty important that we, acknowledge that people can be imperfect. I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, they, they don't want to accept that people are imperfect and can't be perfected. Like we can't be perfected. And, and this yeah, is what I think. This is why I think it's nihilism though, because no one will ever be perfect by their definition. And as soon as someone is perfect, they'll change the definition so that that person right. is no longer perfect so they can tear it down. I think that the psychological motivation for all of this is not that they look at the ancient works. They don't, they don't look at the Bible and say, I want to build something better. They don't look at Homer or Aeschylus or Euripides and say, or Shakespeare and say, I want to do something better. They, they say, I want all those things to be torn down and I want to build a garbage pile and wallow in it. And if that garbage pile becomes inspirational or helpful in any way, that needs to be burned down as well. And I'll start a new garbage pile. 
You know, Paul Rossi, when he was doing his interview with Jordan Peterson, I think, in my opinion, gave one of the most um, in, enlightening little bits of insight to his own psyche, because he was talking about being um, in school, in college, and I think he was an English major or something like that. One of the, maybe a critical theorist, but deconstructionism, he was learning all about how, um, how to pick apart you know, pieces of literature through these various points of view to try to tear them down, which is what critical theorists do. And he was explaining that to Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson was like, because I think Paul Rossi said something about how much he enjoyed it. It felt like it gave him a sense of power. And Jordan Peterson, you know, asked more about that. What do you mean by that? And, and Rossi said something along the lines of, of like, he knew he would never be able to create at the level of the authors that he was critiquing. He knew he could never do that, but it, but to, to instead start picking them apart made him feel like he was kind of on their level because, you know, I can't do what they do, but I can say why yeah. it was wrong. And it was like, for him to admit that to me was um, firstly just amazing. And like, <laughs> he won me over, like I followed him immediately and I love interacting with him on Twitter. He's, he seems like a great, a great person, but like, that's at the core of it. I think it's, it's this weird, I, I know Carter, you and I have kind of, gone back and forth about are they really utopians and like i don't know that they're really like pollyannic utopians I, but i think there's some i use the word kind of in the sense of what you're saying that if something isn't perfectly right in their head then it needs to be torn down and nothing is ever perfectly right so ultimately ends it ends up with them wanting to just tear shit down and it's yeah and it's i think you're, i think that paul rossi i think that paul rossi sentiment is common right <laughs> it is this like I, I don't feel when you feel capable and of and you have decent self-esteem and you feel capable of interacting with the world and and, and self-actualizing and being something you don't feel necessary you don't it's not necessary to demonstrate that Shakespeare was wrong or like or tear down anything or like you just let those things be and you do your own thing that motivation comes from um, it comes from a really bitter, envious um nihilistic heart it comes from petty insecurity uh and and i think i personally think that almost all of postmodernism and most modern philosophy is built as a rationalization for petty petty dysfunctional people well it's a very it's a very cynical and um i, I was i was talking to um there's a young woman uh, artist named uh, Salome Sibune. I don't know if you follow her on, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I love her to death. And she says um, all of the right things. And she was, we, we were talking about um, sort of this, um, what do we call it? Um, we just settled on how it's a very, I'm just going off of what you said, Carter. It's just, it's a very cynical and nihilistic and hollow sort of culture, which produces an equally cynical and nihilistic and hollow outlook. Um, and then the people who have internalized that cynical and hollow and nihilistic outlook end up creating art that is, that is a reflection of that. And so, you know, one of, one of my major struggles now, I think a lot of us, and a lot, I think a lot of us feel it is that, you know, it's like, what is, where is the, it's, it's being, it's out there somewhere, but where is like this, the great, uh, you know, time, timeless art that, uh, that we used to be capable of producing up until seemingly maybe 2010 or something, um, you know, what's, what's going on? And well, it's like, well, the people producing the art um, have, fall have become are in the have become ensorcelled so to speak by 
this very same um, ideology or orthodoxy, whatever that we're talking about, which it, it you only look at, you know, surface problems, you see them on a surface level or everything that you see has to be broken down. Nothing is really genuine. Um, uh, you know, so it, it's just, it's a, it's sort of a cultural dead end. And I think, uh, you know, I felt for a long time, there's some kind of weird cultural malaise that's kind of taking over everybody. And, you know, people are afraid to be happy. They're afraid to hope. They're afraid to aspire to be greater because everything is so horrible because of all the stuff that happened before we were even alive. It's just, it's, you know, uh, how, how can you, how can you live uh, or produce anything of value or, you know, let a, a culture of value. You know, we, we talked about how the, uh, how the, the art of a culture is reflective. It's a barometer of the health of that culture. And, you know, if the people aren't healthy, they're not going to be producing anything, any healthy uh, art. See, so I, I, I can be lucid and, and somewhat uh, uh, capable of saying smart things, even when I'm, <laughs> even when I'm sleep deprived and being, so being crass. A close friend of mine, I'm going to call him a close friend, uh, told me about a documentary by Roger Scruton. Oh, that, I've seen this. Matters. The person yeah, who we... told me that was was Clifton, so that's why I called him a close friend. But, <laughs> but, but it's 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 right on this vein, and it's amazing. It's everybody should look it up. Roger Scruton, why beauty matters. And we did a film series at our church where this was a. It was like our first one, Faith in Film. I'm sorry to cut you off. It, it's an no, excellent no. movie. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think he, he dives immediately into kind of um, the fact that art has, has become kind of a, a, a joke of itself. I mean, he's, he's, he's immediately looking at um, things like the, the urinal that became very famous because it was some artist decided to just put a urinal and put, his, put a name on the side and, and say that that is art. And what does that say about art itself if you can simply suggest that this thing is art and anybody looking at it has to accept that it is art, even if it does nothing to you emotionally or potentially does negative things to you emotionally. But you have these people who want to assert that these ugly things or these gross things are art. And, and he dives right into that and can contrast that with the other standards of beauty that humans have had, you know, for thousands of years and tries to understand the psychology of what's going on with our culture today, or, you know, at least within the last, he was, a lot of the stuff happened 60 years ago, 80 years ago. Um, but he was, he's trying to understand what it is about the psychology of, of an individual that wants to suggest that this non-beautiful thing is a beautiful thing. And what does that do to the culture when people are faced with, with having to say that this thing that isn't beautiful is. I mean, I think that, me of in what's that happening case, in the comedy world right now where they're actually arguing, it's sort of like with the art where they're saying, I can just put my name on this urinal and it's art because I'm saying so. They're, they're uh, sorry, there's a joke on screen right now. Cheeky Mary gave us a super chat and says your mom was lucid last night. Thank you, Cheeky. <laughs> Thank you, Libby. Very cheap. But they uh, forgot. They, they forgot but, the. Oh, oh. That, was, that was very good. Very good. <laughs> um, but in the comedy world, they're actually publishing articles now where they're they're arguing that the purpose of comedy is not to make you laugh, and they're doing this in defense of social justice comics, 
uh, like Nanette, like that sort of uh, more of a, de- a, a preaching, more of a sermon that's being sold, or maybe I, I should just say more of a one man show, one woman show, those things being pushed as comedy specials. And people, I think, rightly so, saying, I don't find this very funny. I mean, comedy's subjective, saying, I don't find this very funny. And they're saying, well, you're not supposed to find it funny. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's like, are we changing the purpose of comedy? Yes. Um, Which is funny because un- okay. because comedy can be uncomfortable and funny. It's like, no, mm-hmm. bitch, you're just not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> I, I just want to point out that that urinal example, that's Marcel Duchamp. And that was, right. that was not that was not a sincere belief. He was not a sincere right. believer that that urinal was art. He was intentionally trying to destroy the concept of art. That's what the purpose was. Um, right. And I think a lot of people look at that and like, how can he believe it's art? He doesn't. He believes that there is no art and art is an invalid concept and he's trying to destroy it. And you let him or, you know, at, the art world and the, let him. And the question that. is, what is the psychology of a person who thinks that there is no such thing as real beauty in this world and that art is something that needs to be destroyed? The concept of art is something that needs to be destroyed. How do you get to that point? I mean, I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Carter, that it's it's a nihilistic, depressive, cynical outlook on life that that looks at anything good and says, Fuck that. I, I, I feel so terrible in myself that anything good, which would contrast to the, the amount of pain that I'm going through, must be eradicated. It's, it, it has to be something along those lines, because I mean, the truth is beautiful things make us feel good. We're not totally sure why, but they make us feel good. And yeah. to to push away that sense of I mean, that sense of that wonderful sensation. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you push that away? What's the point? It's because you don't think that life is, you've, you've concluded that life is so unjust that I think, in my opinion, you've concluded life is so unjust that you are unwilling to be tempted by any of the good things in life and you want to change all of it. Any of the good things to you seem like they are just pulling you back into this thing that you've already concluded is completely unjust. I don't want to trivialize it, but I think it's just, miserable people don't like other people being not miserable. I mean, like, I like, right. and, and we're, because we have so much bad philosophy now, like there was a time when it was mostly just Christian culture. So you're pretty limited philosophically in your views. There wasn't like a lot of other philosophies out there to choose from, but we're at a time now where uh, if you want to choose a philosophy that justifies your hatred of humanity and your misery, I mean, there's like, there's lots of options. Uh, go ahead and you can write PhD dissertations on it and people can evaluate art based on that philosophy. And like you can totally, instead of being told that actually you're just down and you need some help, you're told that's a completely, there's a whole philosophical system justifying your misery. Um, and actually it turns out that philosophical system says that anyone who's not miserable is the problem. And like everyone should be miserable. Well, that's why I, um, you know, I, I had this epiphany. I forgot who I mentioned it to the other day, but there's just a point where I was like, "All right, well, um, uh, if you are a a happen to be a black person and you're actually pleased with your lot in life and happy with yourself, then you have no, you really have no place among the Democrat Party." 
um, and or even on really the the sort of left side of the aisle. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you're not you don't feel like the the world is out to get you, and that uh, you know that there's a there's there's some white person hiding behind every bush to come out and steal all your money and and you know take take your kids or whatever. It's like, no, I'm not not really. I'm I'm just kind of chilling. Um, look, friends, I I need to go. I I quit my job in spectacular fashion the other day, so now I have to find a new one, unfortunately. And uh. <laughs> it's just it's been such a crazy week. My life makes uh, my life makes no sense. But it's it's been great. Uh, I, I I apologize if I brought down the the high culture of of the uh, of the stream, but. Uh, you know, did you um, be honest? You did, did you tell did you tell your employer that they either have to play Joe Rogan over the loudspeaker or you're quitting? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I I didn't tell them anything. I just okay. fucking walked out the door, yeah. <laughs> just grabbed my stuff and and uh, and and left. Um, you know, Take so I, this that's when I job and shove it. That's a great song. There's some classical country. Is that country? I feel I yeah. feel like that's country. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Clifton. Thank you, Clifton. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Clifton. Until, uh, until next time, uh, hey, take I, care. And... I was going to say, so I what? still need to get down to Atlanta. We, we need to make that happen. So we've yeah, man. we've talked about it too long. So let's make that happen. I talked to your mom too long last night. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. All right, guys. I'm so sorry. Okay, I gotta bye. Go. <laughs> bye. Thank you. Excellent outro. <laughs> That was good. Uh, should we do some super chats at, at all, or or? Yeah, let's we, just finish yeah. up the super chats. Um, that's a good. All right, Pyre Tomsky says this is the problem when you have a voice like Clifton's. Everyone believes him. Uh, <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's true. Hey, that is true. It is an asset. Uh, Pyre Tomsky says again says he who would make a pun. Would pick a pocket. We read that one. Matt Deckard says, This is all well and good, but how does this help us rid the world of moose and squirrel? I don't know. Is that a Rocky and Bullwinkle thing? I don't know what yes. that is. So, yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah. Thomas St. Thomas says, Has Biden asked Romney if he has any black women in his binders full of women for the SCOTUS? That's a great question. I think that's, uh, he should ask. By the way, LLE, I don't know if you noticed. Um, Biden didn't say he didn't promise to nominate a black woman. He promised to nominate someone who identified as a black woman. So oh. fields open. Uh, fields open. Pirate Queen uh, says, I'm old enough to be annoyed that Violent Femmes Blister in the Sun is played on the organ at baseball games. It was Violent Femmes. Thank you for the reminder. It was a Violent Femmes song I heard somewhere, like a CVS or whatever, that I was really annoyed by. Um it's really weird when the oldie stations that used to play all the 50s and 60s stuff are now playing Madonna and the 80s stuff. It's like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I, yeah, cool. I mean, uh, Little Ragamuffin says, I was drunk the day my mama got out of prison, prison. and I went to pick her up in pick the rain. But before I could rain. get to the station in the pickup truck, she but got ran over by a damn old train. I could get to the station in my pickup oh, okay. truck. Thank I was you. assuming it was a country song, but it is, and you know it. So it's there you go. The greatest country western song ever written. What is it? Which one? By whom? Uh, by David Allen Coe. You don't have to call okay. me by my name. Oh, okay. By the way, speaking <laughs> of country music, you know that I don't listen to country music. My wife doesn't listen to country music, but it turns out 
that our three-month-old daughter really what's loves the song by Eric Church called, <laughs> uh, shit, what's it called? Hell of a View. Oh, I that's don't know what that. she goes to sleep to. Wow. Uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's her song. So, uh, yeah. G-Man says, modern, quote, country music isn't country. It's pop music with a twang, 100% carry, carry cowboy hat. Is, is, do you not like modern country music? Is is it is modern country music all bad? Oh, no. I mean, there's some good modern country. It just doesn't get played on the radio very often. Oh, okay. you no. Know? It's like the stuff they're playing on the radio is sort of... I mean, I'm sure you've heard, Cecil. It's a lot of commercialized, algorithm-generated garbage. There's a great um, YouTube video where they, like, paste together a bunch of different songs but they're all based. They're showing how each of the songs are basically the same chords, the same chord progression. I've seen that. Same time. Yeah. 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 Really. Yeah. I mean, it's every. You know, that's. I was just gonna say that that's that's picking on the ones that are like that, and of course there are good ones. I mean. Yeah. Casey Casey Musgraves writes some amazing music, and she has a voice to die for. Um, and there are there are a number of very very good, and talented songwriters. It's just tough. I mean, I think, you know, it's tough when you have country music and their motto is three chords and the truth. And you're like, but there are more than three chords. And unfortunately, three chords and the truth is, it does describe a lot of country music because they, they very easily tend to stick with the same formula. And I, I would say that even older country would do this. And it, it's frustrating to me as a musician who likes all kinds of music to have one genre that's like, just these three chords and that's somehow that's like the purest thing. And no, I, no. I get, I get frustrated with that. There's a great country song by Dale Watson who, you know, he doesn't get played on the radio a lot, but he's actually great. He has a song called that's country. My ass that kind of <laughs> talks about this, about like what gets promoted. Well, Tiger almost well, fell I mean, off. <laughs> so for like, like Willie Nelson, right? So you've yeah. got all these people who were like, diehard country fans and they talk about three chords and the truth, but then they'll sing along to crazy by Willie Nelson, which might mm -hmm. as well be a jazz song. Cause that's a very complicated melody with, with key changes and chord changes that don't occur in most country songs. So it's like, yeah, you guys are, you still like more complicated songs. So get rid of this little three chord mantra and open up your minds a little bit more. Cause. And that's not what the old, well, as you're pointing out, I mean, that's a very old song and, and yeah. the way he does it is so different than the way Patsy Klein does it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, oh, I was blanking on something you're making me think of. Oh, it's not just country. It's every genre, though, that's oh, on the yeah. radio today. That's what I'm finding. It's like, like yeah. I, if I were basing my opinion of Christianity on the Christian music that comes off of Christian channels, or there's one gym that plays a Christian station that... It, we can't stand hearing. I would rather not hear it. It's all just cheesy saccharine garbage, and it's just a complete turnoff. And a, when you agenda yeah. does not make art, and so whether yes. it's a Christian agenda or it's a trucks and beer and you know four by fours agenda, or mm -hmm. it's whatever, or if it's just like drugs agenda, it doesn't make art. You have to tell a story, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. Whether even yeah. if it's just an instrumental, you have you have to like do something unique that that pulls people in that like seduces them, and just telling the same old pablum 
you know, whether it's like you, you hear them talk, you know, glorifying yeah. God in the first in the first verse, or if they're talking about, you know, guns and pickup trucks, it's just like, we've all heard it. Do something unique and authentic. There's this uh, Christian, well, she's not a Christian artist, but she did a Christian album I, that we, I just discovered her name's uh, Natalie Bergman. My husband found this. So it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It'll never be played on a Christian channel. It's beautiful music. It's raw. It's real. Uh, she wrote it after she was a secular artist. She and her brother had a band, but her parents died in a car crash. And she went to some silent retreat or monastery and started talking to God and wrote this album that's just about loss and love and finding God. And it's not anything you would hear on the Christian stations. <laughs> It's called Mercy, if anybody's interested. But I was thinking about it because I was listening to that. Like, this is so raw and real. And 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 again, like a lot of the raw and real country that I like, it's not going to be on the radio. <laughs> I, I remember I had just gotten to Nashville and and they have a great radio station there called Lightning 100 that will play a lot of Nashville artists, but a lot of like, you know, national artists as well. And on the radio one night, I was driving to pick up some food or something and on came sound and color, which is the opening song from Alabama shakes sound and color album. Uh, and it's one of those songs. That's just, just uniquely beautiful. It doesn't really have a chorus. It doesn't really like, it doesn't have a verse chorus, verse chorus structure like most songs. And yet it was on the radio and it hit me and I'm like, and I'd never heard it before. And it, you know, it's rare when with music because music, if, the more that you hear a song, the more that you tend to like it, the brain is weird in that way. That it, it the more that it knows a song, the more that it, in each repeat, re, you know, repeating listening that your brain like gets to anticipate the note that's coming or the word that's coming and then it hears it. And so it gets that kind of like release of like anticipation release. And so for whatever reason, brains like songs that we know better. So to hear a song for the very first time and just be blown away by it is not that common. And this song for me, I was like, okay, the world's gonna be okay because there are people still making amazing music that can just catch you off guard. So for anybody who hasn't yeah. heard that song, check it out, Alabama Shakes, Sound and Color. Them. But yeah, I mean, people are still out there doing it, but I think what I just said, the fact that we like stuff that we know, well, that plays right into a radio station's programming. Like why would they play new unusual stuff that's like less, yeah. you know, they're gonna play stuff that people know because then that yeah. sells. Like. Yeah. Our own internal psychology often works against ourselves when it comes to money and making music and making art. I miss the college radio stations of uh, the 80s oh, and 90s. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like, Cause yeah. that's where you would hear all that stuff. It'd be some dude at 2 AM. No one, get, no one's listening anyway. No one cares. So he's yeah. pulling out the stuff that, you know, you'd not hear otherwise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, uh, Go ahead. Sorry. I want to hear, like, for me, the Christian stuff is, it's not, it's, it's just so saccharine and it's so perfect and pat. And that's not what Christianity is to me. It's like salvation, the idea of salvation, not just in your, like, I am being saved, but saving you from the worst instincts of humanity. And it's like, I want to hear the Christian song that's like, you know, you better be glad I found Jesus. Otherwise, I come to your house and kill you because of what you did to me. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was going to ask that, you want them reformed to serial murderer songs. It's <laughs> just like that's real. I sewed your skin into a purse, purse, but now I know. Right, and it's like you it know, it was wrong. I would cut off your head and poop down your neck, except for Jesus. <laughs> That's like it's, it's odd, Carrie. This feels very authentic coming from you. I feel like yeah. this, you could sing this. And people would totally. believe it. I'm working on. I'm going to write this. I've written so many songs for my husband. He won't do any of them. Someone, someone says, if I wasn't such a boomer, I would know that Discord, YouTube, and SoundCloud have become like college radios of the '80s and '90s. I'm sort of aware of that, but here's the difference. Turning on the college radio station is super easy and finding discord servers and searching for shit on YouTube or SoundCloud. is a pain in the ass. I don't want to do that. I just want to turn something on and like, I want someone to curate it for me. So that's the thing that like, I don't, I don't actually like, I'll just be a technophobe. Generally. I don't like that about uh, any music service right now. In fact, it's one of the reasons I still have a Pandora subscription, even though Pandora sucks, at least I can just kind of like, turn on a station and let it run forever even though it sucks i would i would love to have like a curated live college radio kind of thing going on that i could just turn on and listen to the to the radio i don't want to have to go on soundcloud and find who likes what and follow stuff and click on things like that's who has time for that i mean i, I think you can find playlists i think like especially spotify you can go in and find the curator who has the best playlist, but it, it definitely takes time. And yeah, yeah. but that has a playlist, right? It's not like, it's like, okay, now I got to do it again. in the next day, because right. I listened to that playlist. Whereas, you know, you turn on, I grew up in upstate New York. You turn on like radio from RPI, which like had their, like their yeah. college radio station. It could just be on. I turn my radio on. It's just on all the time. So I don't have to worry about it. And that the, this idea that like now to find new music, you have to actually put in much more effort and people like me are lazy. I'm like, I don't like, I'm not a musician. I'm just we like, eh. Bring I'm back that terrestrial radio, like all the yeah. guys learning the ham radio stuff. Just maybe start an old. Well, so actually I've had a fantasy about this, Carrie, not ham radio. Cause you're not allowed to broadcast on ham radio, but okay. um, when I think that the more technologically advanced we get, the more stuff's online, the cheaper radio stations will become to buy. And eventually it'll just be like, eh, let's just buy one for fun. It's stupid. No one cares. Like no one wants it anymore. Like let's just, just buy the radio station and then do whatever you want with it. Um, I don't know. I think you should. Oh, did you see that? Are you, uh, you going to DJ, Cecil? Because I'm not going to DJ. <laughs> well, I was I was going to say two things. Firstly, like as a musician, I am very much remiss. I, I don't go out there listening to new music all that often. Like, I mean, part of it mentally is like when I'm I'm doing my own music so much that my music brain tends to be kind of exhausted from my own stuff. But that still seems like an excuse. I, I think I'm somewhat lazy as well. And I think we're all experiencing like an overload of of content and not knowing what's good and what's not and anyway but i also wanted to yeah. say you, you brought up ham radio did you see that elon musk was like oh by the way you know cb radio can't be regulated yes I was oh just, i didn't see that it, it and actually he's actually wrong it is indeed regulated is it? But, okay yes but, but it's, it's, it's much more it's lightly regulated i guess right. especially cb radio is like 
lightly regulated. Um, Carter, what, what do you think about Elon and his last two weeks of tweeting? I am – well, not just the last two weeks. I am – for the last year, I have loved Elon's, like, slow descent or ascent, depending on how you want to – like, slow descent into red pilling. He's just – you know, I, I, I've always had kind of ambivalent feelings about him because I don't like uh, borrowing money from the government and, like, being, like, in bed with the Defense Department, which is all things that he kind of has to do or did – uh, for sure. both Tesla and SpaceX. So, like, I've always had this uh, love-hate relationship with them, although I do know, because um, we actually we actually have a mutual friend, uh, I, I do know that he is a genius and just, like, he is kind of Asperger's. He's mentioned, he's, like, admitted this now, but, like, he's a genius and really just cares about, like, building stuff. So I think for him, for, he was much more of a pragmatist in terms of, like, well, I can get a loan here and I can do this. And, like, okay, okay fine. Um so I was always kind of in this love-hate relationship with him, but la- the last year I've just fallen in love with the guy because he's just clearly gone on this like red pill journey. He's becoming more and more of himself. He's just like right. saying what he thinks more online. He's retweeting stuff that's obnoxious and awesome and funny and like totally red pilled. He he started mocking the SEC at one point. Uh, he mocked Elizabeth Warren. He's just. Um, He's saying all those things that I wish other people in his position with huge followings would just say. Right? There's not exactly. many people who are just saying that. Even if, even if all he did was retweet, which he doesn't. Sometimes he says brilliantly hilarious things that poke holes in woke ideology. Um, so I'm loving Elon right now. Even I though I think people, he's about to blow up the moon. <laughs> I, had, I had some people, you know, because I was saying something like that online, similar of like, I'm, I'm really impressed with him. And, you know, somebody said, well, just remember, he wants to put chips in your brain, and like that's true. He, you know, he's he's interested. He wants in that to offer aspect. chips to you, <laughs> yes, right, exactly. And I think that's the point. He wants to offer it to you. He's very into tech, but but he seems to be very aware of the pathology, the psychopathologies that lead to tyranny, and he's like willing to talk yep. about that stuff. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, in fact, Dion just had a quote. This was a tweet that he did the other day. He, from Elon, if you scare people enough, they will demand removal of freedom. This is the path to tyranny, right? It's not like he's coming up with stuff that no one's ever heard. That's a, clearly a rephrase of a lot of people who've said that for the past two, three hundred. Actually, I think Socrates said something like, like, but he's saying it and he's got an audience and he's just out right. there, boom, saying it. Um, so well, we I, definitely I, have I a- like him more than I kind of wanted to, I guess. <laughs> we have a weird culture where it's like, people who are super famous don't tend to be saying the things that the rest of us are saying. And so when somebody mm-hmm. who is amazingly famous or rich, all of a sudden says the stuff that we've all been saying, it does, it is a wonderful kind of validation or vindication. You're like, Oh, well they, it's, it's sort of to get back to the art and whether you can separate the art from the artist. I mean, I know people who, I know someone who wasn't that big of a fan of Eric Clapton as a guitarist. Oh, <gasps> You're not supposed to say that, but when he came out, sort of, uh, even though he's vaxxed, he had he opposed the mandates. Mm-hmm. And they call him anti-vax. He's not anti-vax. He got the COVID vaccine, but he opposed the mandates, and that, I mean, that makes me respect him more. That makes people like him more because they're like, oh, okay, you're you have this big platform, and you have a huge following, and you're you don't live like the rest of us. <laughs> you live a different kind of life, but you even you like you you're not going along with the crowd. Like you're stepping outside and taking a risk and saying this this thing. Exactly. That we, can all see. we don't 
we don't want to think yeah. that these elite, super rich, uber rich, uber famous people are all that different than us. We want to believe that they're that they're people too. And when when the when the class divide is exacerbated by you know the media basically saying you can only believe this thing, and then the rest of us are kind of like this underground conversation happening you know you you definitely feel like oh these people could never feel like we do because you never hear them say the, the things that we're saying and so it's yeah. wonderful to be reminded that that oftentimes they do agree and and we it's like i want to encourage them i want to oh no i don't want you to feel that way i don't want you to hate i don't want you to like hate free speech to the point where you're going to pull your own music off of Spotify as some sort of ultimatum. Like, I don't want you to feel that way. And, and yeah, I'm excited when more and more people seem to be waking to what's going on. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, let's do a few more super chats. Well, uh, cheeky mayor says, my friend just sent me a link that USPS is giving out free COOF tests, ballots and COOF tests. What is next? Uh, chips in your brain. That's what's next, Cheeky. Free. Um, Are they sun chips? I like sorry. sun chips. Sun chips? Sun chips would be nice. Uh, sorry. Uh, Briars and Bantams. I just came here to see the big baller tiger on TV. My dog want want to know why he isn't wearing his cobra boots. <laughs> tiger appreciates it. Thank you. <laughs> The guy rascal, gay rascal, sorry, uh, says, look at architecture, gorgeous European towns defaced by putting brutalistic eyesores in the middle of historic buildings. Yeah, brutalism is, is again, one of these. And, and the thing that sucks about brutalism is you can destroy an entire city with a couple buildings. You can just make, ruin the entire aesthetic. Uh, same kind of thing. That was and the last part of that. I was just that my favorite part of that documentary was because I, I had never even known that that was called brutalism. I mean, I just hadn't learned that. And so for Scruton to kind of compare how we used to build things to kind of how we have been building things and why, why would we do that? It was, was wonderful yeah. to see and wonderful to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Rock lexicon says to your point, Carrie, I really relate to dear God by Dax, not a Christian artist, but so moving as he cries out to God, any plans for unsafe space retreat number two? Thank you. I will check that out. Uh, I haven't heard of that one. And we haven't had any plans because we don't plan. But maybe we'll have a plan. We haven't planned anything. Um, I think we got through the Super Chats. I don't think we can end, though, without at least talking about one thing that a lot of people wanted us to talk about. Comments on the truckers in Canada. Mm. Cecil or Carrie? So I, I said I, I posted something a couple days ago just kind of saying, like, how big is this? I mean, are, are, is there goal to just make a point? Is there goal to actually disrupt supply chains to the point where things like they're actually kind of taking the nation to its knees? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited about what they're doing. I'm not certain what the overall goal is. Are they really just going to show up in front of Trudeau's house and wait for him to, you know, come out of the closet and speak to them? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I know I said it the way I did. Come out of the closet, um, Trudeau. But like, I mean, what, what is the goal? I think it's, I think it's great. I'm just, I don't know. I don't have a sense of the enormity of it. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's the the largest convoy in history. Um, it's like seventy kilometers long or something. So um, I've heard fifty thousand. Is that right? Fifty thousand. I don't know. Something like that. It's it's long, right? Um, That's what she. Yeah, said. and the mainstream media is calling it fascism. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. This is the. I did see that. Yeah. They're calling it what? Fascism. Oh, right. Well, every, everything is fascism. <laughs> because, because when people don't voluntarily do what you're mandating, that's fascism. I mean, I remember um, a bunch of trucks and truckers opposing uh, Hitler, and that was very fascist of them to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone says 50,000 vehicles to answer your question. Okay. Um, yeah. Guys- I mean, I. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you, well, since we've been talking about old music and stuff, do you guys remember the song Convoy? Convoy. No. Yeah, you should go look that up. It's an old country song. They better be, <laughs> they better be playing it in Canada right they now. Better be, yeah, there's like lyrics and they're like, break a break a one nine. You know, it's funny. <laughs> they should totally be using that as their theme song. One thing that I really like about this convoy is I think a lot of, especially a lot of intellectual elites, uh, mainstream media, all of Silicon Valley, um, they take for granted that we can have cities and tech and that someone else will get food and food from the heartland to them. And your little goodies from China across the sea and from ports to you people uh, like they take all of that for granted. And they've been spitting on the people that do that, that yeah. do that work to get that stuff to them, which by the way is required for life. You you don't, if truckers don't bring your food and you're in a city, you die. Cities have like three days worth of food max. A lot of cities, like that's it. You're dead. And so this idea that you can, they have for the last two years been spitting on and beating down the people that are responsible for keeping them alive. I love that. These truckers are like, you know what? We don't have to bring you your shit. Fuck you. Fuck you. We don't have to. We're not your slaves. We're not your slaves. We don't have to bring your shit. Yeah. We get a paycheck, but you know what? What if we all just stopped? Then what would you do? You, you'd run out of vegan yogurt at whole foods and you would starve to death. Well, and so that's my question. Are, are they hoping essentially to, for, for people to see it in the grocery stores, to see it in at the gas stations that all of a sudden there's no gas, there's no food because these truckers have put their foot down. I mean, that sends a message so. and that might be exactly what's required. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know exactly what their goal is. I but don't know. I lo- but again, I love it. Yeah. I saw an interesting post from a nurse that was kind of went viral where she was saying, you know, congratulating the truckers on taking a stand and coming together and and trying to make a statement. And she said, it's exhilarating to, to do that. And when, and you, you know, we did it as healthcare workers against the mandates. And she just said, I'll give you some advice, get ready to be vilified by the media, get ready for them to, to simultaneously belittle and lie about the number of people who showed up for the protests and try and make it seem like it wasn't a lot of you. And then simultaneously accuse you of things like fascism or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So they've already been through it. No. Well, I got to, it's nice to see Canadians be a little bit more stalwart than they have seemed to be in the last two years. Yeah. They, they seem to be 
way too agreeable. They're too high on the agreeableness scale generally. So right. it's nice to see some disobedience. And I think some of the truckers are are U.S. truckers because there's rules about uh, like quarantines when you cross the border back and forth and mm. stuff like that. So, um, yeah. I would say Jordan Peterson has been the same way in the sense that in the last, I don't know, two, three months, he has seemed more angry to the level of what I had hoped that he would. I mean, I had hoped he'd been this angry, you know, two years ago when this was yeah. starting. But but it's nice to see him seeming to be very upset at, at what's going on because, you know, we all look up to him and there's we've all learned so much from from him in terms of what the psychologies are and the history of what's what leads to what has flowered now with woke and everything. Yeah. And it's like, we want, we want our, our Gandalf to be super pissed off, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was out of it. He had some medical problems and he was gone for a while and whatever, but I'm, and I agree. I'm that. glad that he's more fired up. Me too. Now. Yeah. So, all right. I don't think we have any more super chats and I don't think we need anything else. Carrie, is there anything else that we're missing or forgetting or whatever? You think you might read his last book now? No. <laughs> Just curious. No. Um, so we have book club coming up this Sunday, speaking of uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. If you want to join, you can go to unsafespace.com and go to the book club, book club page. It's always free to join and participate. And I want to thank you, Cecil, for being on the show today. Can you tell people where they can find you if they're not familiar with you? Sure. Just remind uh, people. My, my website is cecilcharles.com. Um, I have got a YouTube page, Cecil Charles Official, just like it's spelled on this sign right here. And uh, that's my Instagram and Venmo as well. Um, yeah, and then Twitter is the Cecil Charles. Um, and I'll be putting out a, a book of dad jokes here soon. And, and check out my YouTube for my music. I, I, I've got a bunch of stuff on Spotify as well as like song ideas and sketches and then like orchestral pieces that I've been composing also on YouTube as well. So you can kind cool. of hear the range of what I do. Cool. Well, thanks for Thank joining, you. man. Thank you very much, both of you, Thank for having you. me on again. It's always wonderful. Yeah. Well, take care, everyone. Yeah. I guess we'll see you on Mon no, Sunday, book club. Sunday. Yeah. Gary just said, and I forgot already. We'll see you on Sunday for book club. On Sunday with your mom. Oh. oh there you, go. you know what? Clifton did that better, though. But, you know. No, that's a fine he out. Definitely that's a fine did. out. <laughs> All right, later. Thanks for spending your time with us today. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. So go check it out. And please consider supporting the Unsafe Space team by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. See you there! Warning! This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. Please download this updated list of contagious individuals.
Use the hashtag GetBoosted to receive two complimentary Liberty Pellets. Mass formation psychosis is just a right-wing talking point. Please purge it from memory and resume your programming. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.